Good morning, everybody. Welcome, church family. Good to see you guys. It's December. Can you believe it? Crazy. Uh, I know, and still 75 out, but uh, hey, that's okay. It's Texas. Our, uh, our mission here, as Carol said, is centering lives on Jesus Christ. And guess what? Uh, in a season, uh, Advent, December, when we are supposed to be uh, centered and most focused on Jesus, December can be a time uh, that we can be pretty distracted, can't we? Um, we uh, sometimes, as we go into December, people are, all of us are busy. Some people are weighed down uh, by the holiday blues. Some people uh, are wrestling with just difficult stuff in their own family, and we have those among us uh, this morning that are wrestling with stuff. Um, parents that are ailing, sick, in the hospital, um, most of you know Shannon Miles, our director of operations over here. Shannon's mom has been fighting cancer uh, for a number of years. It looks, um, as we enter Advent here, that her days are numbered, are limited. That's tough when you go in uh, to the Advent season. Uh, the Zaragozas, who are typically right down here sitting next to Deanna, keeping her in line. Uh, Jaime lost his father about a week ago, I guess. It was on Monday. So they're in this grieving process as we go through Advent. But here's the, here's the deal. If there's ever a time, and sometimes, you know, hey, you know, who, who wants to be the Grinch of Christmas and kind of say, hey, man, it's hard right now. But guess what? If there's any time to be real about the difficulty of life, it's in Advent. Because what we're celebrating is God's grace to come and deliver us and, and give us hope in this difficulty. So um, as we're celebrating, I hope that as a church family, you'll be praying for the Zaragozas, you'll be praying uh, for the Miles, others amongst us that have uh, hard things going on. I'm going to ask Stuart Jackson in just a minute to uh, pray for us uh, just before I uh, preach and just to lift up some of these needs before us. And in speaking of prayer... Um, I said this last week, many of you were on vacation, um, Thanksgiving and travels and all that stuff. But last week, I really challenged our church body to gather on Thursday night for a season of prayer. Again, as we enter this season, uh, what a better time in the busyness of it all to slow down, stop, and have some deep seasons of prayer. And on Thursday night, about 25 of us gathered in here, and it was such an encouraging time of prayer for one another, for our church family, for our community, for our crazy world and nation. And uh, I want to encourage you. We're going to do that again. I'm not saying, hey, everybody come for the rest of the year. I'd love to do that. Or for the rest of the year, it would only be about four weeks, right? But for the next couple of weeks, this Thursday again, I want to encourage as many of you as possible. We have a uh, Kids World Christmas program in here on Thursday, so we won't be meeting in here, but I hope to pack it out next door in our office building, okay, and just have some great uh, time of prayer. And I want to invite the kids, you know, if you can't get a sitter or whatever, you want to bring your three-year-old or whatever and be here or whatever, um, but just come and pray with us. One of the things, though this isn't the, the reason for this prayer, it's one of the things we're going to pray about as we get together this Thursday, one of the things we need to pray about as a church family is as we finish our fiscal year, which ends on December 31st. Um, as of the beginning of November, we needed to collect about $135,000 in giving the last two months of our year, okay? Now, for a church that's been averaging about $35,000 a month, that seems like a God-sized vision, a God-sized request. 
And uh, I want us to pray about that. I want Stuart to pray about that this morning. And I want us to remember that we prayed about this. And I want to see what God does um, through the next weeks of this year as we try to finish well and start 2018 well. Okay, so uh, I want to encourage you, be generous, pray this through. Um, you can give it in one lump sum this morning if you'd like. Uh, or you can string it out over the next four weeks, however you would like to give uh, that amount. But I'm, I'm joking, but seriously, p- join us in prayer for this. Join us this Thursday night, not just about that need, but that this is the season for four weeks, weeks we're supposed to be really focused upon Jesus and his coming. And this four weeks is some of the busiest weeks of life, right? It's crazy. Uh, so, join us in prayer. Stuart, would you lift some of these things up before the Lord, and then we'll uh, look into God's Word together, okay? Let us pray. Father God, um, you are the, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. You are the holiest of the holies. And yet, as we start this Advent season... You didn't come with pomp and circumstance. You came very simply um, with your son in a manger um, that was dirty and messy and, um, and it was simple. And yet I'm reminded how we try to turn it into something maybe more than it is in this season. It's busy. Uh, and that busyness overcomes you, Jesus. And I pray that we would as a church body just um, simplify ourselves, rest our minds and our hearts just on you, Jesus. And I, I also just lift up our, our, the families in our church that are hurting with loss or potential loss, and I pray that you would just comfort them, that they would rest simply in, in you, Father, and in your son, Jesus. I pray for our church uh, that needs funds to continue to share the gospel uh, in our midst and in this community here in Frisco. I pray that uh, you would provide. We, we trust you and know that you uh, will, will provide for us. Father, as we uh, come to uh, hear your word and hear that um, from Ross, I just pray that Ross's words would fall to the ground and yours would be lifted high and that your Holy Spirit would uh, rest here through the the blood of Jesus spilt on the cross for us, that that would clear anything out of our minds and our our hearts that might block what you would have us know today. Um, We just love you, Father, and we... We lift your name high and give you thanks for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, thanks so much, Stuart. Really appreciate that. Hey, if you're new around here, uh, some of the sermon notes are on our CC app. If you don't have our CC app, you can find some of the uh, notes on there. We are going to look this morning at one of the weirdest Christmas passages that a preacher could ever come up with, okay? We'll get there uh, in a minute. Um, 
But it's this time of the year, and, and as uh, we've alluded to already, at this time, December 3rd in the Advent season, there are two types of people in this room this morning, okay? There are those who already have their Christmas tree up, and there are those of us who don't yet have the Christmas tree up. So those of you that want to brag, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, you already have the Christmas tree up. Look at those diligent, on top of it, people. Amazing, amazing. We are all jealous. Kids, thanks for being in here. And uh, I think it's a good thing that they're leaving right now based upon the passage we're going to look at here in a second. Uh, so if there's any other little kids, parents, you might want to take them to their class. You'll find out in a second, okay? Um, I asked a few folks to uh, send me pictures of your Christmas tree uh, so we could admire it all this morning. The first picture we have here is uh, from Doug Gwines. This is over in his neighborhood. Uh, very impressive, very impressive. Uh, the second one here, uh, second one not quite as good. This is Scott Holt's uh, Christmas tree out in his front yard. It's, uh, I mean, we, some of us try, right? Some of you probably remember the old Charlie Brown. You have the Charlie Brown Christmas tree here. That's kind of the way uh, Scott is, is looking there. Uh, not much to look at, is it? And then my, fa my favorite of all, Harking back to uh, Clark Griswold, uh, this person in the family trucks are really made an effort, you know? Uh, we're getting those Christmas trees up. My family is not uh, one that already has our tree up. We need to do that possibly today. Uh, we always try to find a, a live tree. I know some of you cheat and get fake trees and put them up, uh, and that's fine for you. Uh, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, okay? Uh, so we get a live tree. We've had a little bit of issue even uh, this year. There's this place up in Van Alstine that has this natural Christmas tree farm. And we got a, our tree, our live tree, a live tree, smells really good, up in Van Alstine about three years ago. The last two years that we've tried to go up this, up there to this place north of the Burbs, everybody else in the Burbs already beat us there. And so Elizabeth called this week, they're out of the tree that we want, that we have to have. So for the second year in a row, strikeout. So, um, but we're going to go search for that tree. And so it looks like now we'll have to go to the, to the forest, to the, the hither land, the winter wonderland of Costco. Okay. So we'll get our live tree uh, sometime this week. Christmas trees. I'm preaching, Deanna. Okay. I'm preaching. All right. Uh, Christmas trees. Sorry. Had to cut you off on that one. Christmas trees are like the centerpiece of the living room, aren't they? The centerpiece uh, for many of us of the holiday. Getting that tree up means Christmas is beginning, right? And we want that tree to look good. We go and we measure it and we turn it around. And as we decorate, oh, this card's kind of bare, so we'll turn that to the back. And then you get out all the decor and the, the lights and everything on it. And I uh, make suggestions that sometimes get heated and sometimes don't. But the tree, you know, it looks good, right? You want it to look good, the centerpiece of our celebration. Well, this morning and through this month, we're going to look at a different kind of Christmas tree, and it's the Christmas tree of Jesus. It's Jesus' family tree, and guess what? Jesus' family tree, though purposeful, is not pristine. 
It's not perfectly decorated. In fact, it has some very embarrassing parts of the tree. There's some broken branches. There's some things that are out of whack. It does, looks more like Scott Holt's tree than Doug Gwine's tree. Because Jesus' family tree was not perfect. Jesus comes through a family that was imperfect, that didn't have it all together, that had messed up things and had bare spots and had blemishes and things that you would be embarrassed about. And we see that family tree in Matthew chapter one. Okay, so turn with me to Matthew chapter one. We'll be here for just a minute and then we'll flip to the Old Testament. But Matthew chapter one, the first book of the New Testament The Old Testament has anticipated Christ. The prophets have been preaching the Messiah is gonna come. And then Matthew is telling us about this coming king, the King Jesus who is coming. And how does he start his story? He starts his story in Matthew chapter one with a genealogy. What? A list of names. So-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And and most of us, if we're honest, we come to Matthew chapter one and we're like, flip to Matthew chapter two, let's get to the good part, right? Where's Jesus born? I mean, this is not the way you or I would start our story with a genealogy, but it's the way Matthew very meticulously, very creatively and very purposely starts the story of Jesus with this family tree, with this genealogy. To us, this is like the the fine print on your cell phone bill or something, your cell phone contract or the fine print and as you sign your mortgage papers and there's all those pages and pages and like who's going to read that and make sense of it. We come to this genealogy that was important to a Jewish world and we look at it like let's let's just get through all this detail, right? This is not the way we would begin a story. And also, if we come to Matthew uh, chapter 1, we also realize that if, if it were us writing this story, we would want to leave out some of the characters in this story. Kind of skip over those parts, you know, that don't make the family look quite so good. You know, you have people in your family that like that, right? You just kind of skip over that. There's Rahab, the prostitute here. There's the wife of Uriah, which code word, that means Bathsheba, the one that David had an affair with. And as we'll see this morning, Judah and Tamar in verse three. We all have these parts of our families that we'd we'd rather hide, kind of turn the tree around so you don't see that. You know, one uh, one person who will go unnamed, but at our uh, new member classes always tells us one uh, person in our church family is related to the real Pocahontas. Isn't that cool? His name is Bob Cox. You can talk to him afterwards, okay? Uh, Bob is related to the real, now that one that you, you'd kind of be proud about, okay? That's pretty cool, but there's others among us that we've got some family members we're probably a little embarrassed about. I know there's some among us who, who have a lineage to Robert E. Lee. And in 2017, you don't say you're related to Robert E. Lee, right? That's bad, that's politically incorrect. I could get your statue or your monument torn down if you say that's in your history, that's in... I have my own things in my family. Uh, there's, some, there's some parts of my family tree that, that don't branch where they should, you know? It's, why are you laughing at me, son? Some of you from Some of you from Arkansas know what I'm talking about. You feel my pain, right? But there's parts that are, it's just too easy. It's just too easy. But all 
of this to say that Jesus does not come for everyone that has it together. Jesus doesn't come for the superstars, the standouts, the obvious choice, the all-Americans, those who have it all together, the purebred, the top dog, those with the perfect portfolio. He comes instead, Jesus comes instead through and to the weak and the outcast, the spiritually bankrupt, those just trying to keep it all together, the desperate the second stringers. Thankfully, Jesus comes for those type of people. Thankfully, Jesus comes for people like you and me. And instead of trying to hide those people, Matthew, as he writes this gospel, instead of hiding them, he actually highlights them. And this morning, we're gonna look specifically in verse three of this genealogy. We're not gonna read all of Matthew chapter one. Do that tonight, okay? Perhaps as you go to bed. <laughs> Just kidding, it's God's word, it's all inspired. Uh, but read along with me the first three verses of Matthew, okay? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadad, and Abinadad, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Or is it Salmon? We'll stop there. But you get these lists of people, and this morning we want to concentrate right there in verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Okay? There's some great people in this list here. There's the Abrahams, there's the Davids, there's these pillars, you know, Abraham, the father of Israel, even though Abraham himself, not without his faults, the guy was a deceiver, the guy was a liar. David, this great king, also at his faults, right? But Judah and Tamar, not at the top of this list and yet included in the family of Jesus. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 38, where we read about Judah and Tamar. And here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna read the whole passage. I'm gonna read the passage for us, and then I'm gonna make uh, a few observations and then make some applications for us this morning as we think about celebrating Advent, the coming of Jesus, okay? So Genesis chapter 38, just to set this stage here, uh, Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. There are 12 tribes of Jacob or 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is one of those sons. He's the fourth born son to Jacob by his mother Leah, okay? Just prior to this chapter in chapter 37, Judah has sold his youngest brother Joseph to be a slave. He sold him off and it is actually his idea. Hey, this guy keeps bragging. Joseph keeps bragging about his dreams and how we're gonna serve him. Let's get rid of him. This is the kind of guy we're talking about as we read about Judah. Okay, so this will be on the screen. Follow along with me uh, as we read this sordid story, okay? It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. 
she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Kezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go in your father's Go into your father's brother and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went in to his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to the sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, for she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not yet been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. For he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, she replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread around his hand saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. And afterward, his brother came out and the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. 
So this is in the Bible. Uh, here it is. The Bible's not all clean and neat, but here's this story. And this story about Judah and Tamar who were highlighted in the genealogy and the family history of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. These people are upstream from Jesus. And first of all, as you you think about this guy, Judah, Judah, uh, we've already seen, or we didn't see this morning, but as I told you in verse 37, he sold his brother off as a slave. That's What we find out about Judah, we find out here that he was such a a poor father that he had two evil sons, that God struck dead his sons because they were so evil. We also, as we read verse or chapter 38, it says that he went down to uh, Adullam. Why is this son of Jacob going to foreigners, to foreign country? Why is he peeling away from the family, the scriptures say that he pinched, he pitched his tent among the Adulamites. He's leaving the covenant family. He's in kind of a rebellion. Maybe he feels guilty for being the one to suggest, hey, let's, let's sell off Joseph, but he's away from the covenant family. He marries a Canaanite. He doesn't provide after uh, Tamar is widowed, first by Ur and then by Onan. It's his responsibility as a father-in-law to take care of this widow. At this point in culture, there was no no other way for this uneducated woman to provide for herself. He was supposed to take the obligation, as he said he would do, with the third son. But basically, what Judah does is say, okay, go on on back to your father's house, and uh, we'll call you if we need you, okay? I'll let you know. Uh, when to come on over, when my son's of age, okay? But here Judah is scared that his third son is gonna be killed being in a relationship with this woman of ill repute, this Canaanite, Tamar. So this is the, the kind of guy that Judah is, not providing for his daughter-in-law. And then you see that he petitions a prostitute that turns out to be his daughter-in-law. And when he's busted for it, we see that even in his unrighteousness, he's self-righteous. He's like, oh, she's immoral, burn her. Bring her here and burn her. Before being found out that, no, hey, it's, it's yours. It's your child. You're the one that got her pregnant. And his, right, his self-righteousness turns to shame. This is the life. This is the reputation of Judah. You see any grace here? That this guy is still included in the family of Jesus. That this line, the the line of Judah, is going to be the line through which God chooses, has chosen, to bring the Messiah. In chapter 49 of Genesis, you see these blessings that are given to Jacob's sons. And one of the the blessings to Judah is that there's going to be this lion cub come from Judah. That will be Jesus, the Lion of Judah. It says in Genesis 49 that the scepter will never be removed from this line, that there's gonna be a king. The king will come through Judah, this very broken branch, this very guilty, very embarrassing character. And then there's Tamar. 
Where's their grace in, the, in this for Tamar? Tamar is outside. She's the outsider. She's, she's not an Israelite. She comes into this family because of Judah's power and Judah's choice. She then is widowed. Can you imagine the abuse that she's suffered? Can you imagine the shame that she's felt as a, a widow twice and that her husbands have been so evil that they were struck down by God. And here she is with her father-in-law saying, go on, get on out of here. We'll call you if we need you. And she's forgotten. Till finally, because she knew the promises of God, likely, she takes matters into her own hand and says, well, I'll fix this. I know that there's supposed to be a son to Judah, so I'll take matters into my own hands. And so she dresses up as a prostitute as she hears that he's going to this big sheep shearing party that's like kind of the Mardi Gras of the day, so to speak. This is spring break in Timnah, and he goes for a good time and on his way is deceived by his daughter-in-law. But through this disaster, God brings, God is faithful to his promise to bring the Messiah through the line of Judah. This is part of the Christmas tree. This is part of Jesus' family tree. And you see the good news here? You see the good news of Advent? You see the good news of grace here? What is, what is this telling us? What is this story telling us? It's telling us Advent, Christmas. Judah and Tamar are telling us that Jesus doesn't come for the deserving. He comes because we're undeserving. Jesus does not come for the deserving because no one's deserving. Jesus not, does not come for the deserving. He comes because we are all undeserving and desperately need his grace. If God can show grace to Judah and Tamar, can we not find his grace for us? Is If there is enough grace through the blood of Jesus to cover the sins of Judah and Tamar, is there not enough grace and blood of Jesus to cover the brokenness of you and me? Unfortunately, this season of Advent um, is not often a season of grace. It's a, it's a season of performance and getting everything done and preparing for the family and trying to impress the in-laws and, and spending enough to make everybody happy and are they gonna like it and what are we gonna do for the in-laws and, 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 and how do I get everything done? It's a season not of grace, but a season of performance and stress and impress others. It's about wrapping and decor and tinsel, and we can get all wound up in the celebration and the parties, and pretty soon you just kind of have this sense of, uh, I'm not doing enough, I, I'm not performing enough, I can't provide the perfect Christmas for my kids that I want to, and you start feeling this low level of guilt, or maybe it's a high level of guilt, that man, I just don't have it together. Well, welcome to Matthew chapter one and welcome to the family tree of Jesus, of people that are broken, 
of people that don't have it together, of people that never perform perfectly even though they try and they're deceivers and liars and prostitutes. And if you this morning, three days into December, are feeling the rush of pressure, the pressure to perform, the pressure to make it perfect, what I wanna encourage us to do this morning is to take a deep breath and rest in the grace of Jesus. And I talked to enough of you that, man, I'm still worried, I'm still struggling with the grown kids. I'm worried about them. I'm praying for them all the time. Man, the marriage is hard. It's harder than I thought. I'm not sure the picture-perfect Norman Rockwell Christmas is going to come together for my family. Guess what? Jesus came for the imperfect families. He came through an imperfect family. Man, I'm working really hard, but I just can't give the kid, I just can't give my kids the things I want to. I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I'm not the dad that I wanted to be. And there's this low level of guilt. And what I want us to hear this morning is that Advent is not something to bring down pressure and to bring down guilt, but to say, guess what? Take the pressure off. Get rid of the guilt because the mess in your life and your failure to measure up and make everything perfect and with the in-laws or at that family celebration, that's why Advent is here. That's the good news of Jesus, that he covers that brokenness. That he doesn't make us perform and meet some standard, but he met the standard for us in Jesus. That you come to church and you worship, but you have secrets. Secrets in your past, like Judah had secrets in his past. I hope nobody finds out. I hope dad doesn't find out that this was my idea. And for those of us, for those of us that have done shameful things, whether it's to our family, whether it's to the children born to us, whether it's to children that we allowed not to be born, and we feel the shame of it. The grace of Advent is that there's grace that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you're accepted in spite of your mess, in spite of your inadequacy. And there's others of us here who, like Tamar, feel like the outsider. Man, I don't belong here. Everybody else has it together. They grew up in church. They, they've been more a part of this Bible thing than I have. And I just, I just feel like a Canaanite. I just feel like an, a Duomite. I, I don't fit in here. This, these are not my people. And what does God do? He embraces Tamar into the family. And through her to bring birth to the Savior. Advent says you're not an outsider, and even if you feel like an outsider, Jesus is the one who makes outsiders insiders. 
it, it reminds me of the words of Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15, where Paul says, it is a trustworthy statement. It is a trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's the good news of, e- of Easter. That's the good news of Christmas. It's the good news of Easter too. That he came in our mess. He came for the worst of sinners. Not that we have life together for the 25 days in December, but that when we feel that drive to impress or make everything perfect, or we feel that guilt, shame from secrets, or, hey, I, I don't have it all together, I can't provide the Christmas, that we're reminded this Advent of God's grace. That Advent tells us he doesn't come for the strong, he doesn't come for the deserving, he comes because we're weak, because we're undeserving. Even through Judah and Tamar. And it reminds us that about 1,800 years or so after Judah, his great, 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 great grandson would come, who would be the Lion of Judah. And the Lion of Judah and Jesus would come upon a woman caught by others in the act of adultery. Instead of like great, 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 great grandpa Judah saying, burner, Jesus, the lion of Judah would say this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The true Judah, the lion of Judah, who brings us grace in our brokenness. There's no perfect person in Matthew chapter one, save one. And that's Jesus. That's the savior. That's the hero. The hero is not even Abraham or David. This hero is certainly not Judah or Tamar, but the hero is Jesus the Christ, the lion of Judah who comes in and for our brokenness. So this morning, I want you to take a deep breath and to say, God, thank you for grace in Jesus. And I'd like you right now to take off whatever expectation it is for perfection this December and embrace imperfection. Not in a sinful kind of way, not in a sloppy kind of way, but in a way that says, God, I am not here to impress I am not here to stress in December. I am here to celebrate a God who meets me in brokenness and weakness. And not only for your own grace, I'd like you to think secondly about this. How can you extend that grace to somebody else? Who's someone in your life right now that's totally undeserving of that card? Who's totally undeserving of that gift at Christmas, who's totally undeserving of that phone call or just that step of outreach to say, Jesus has loved me in my brokenness, in my sinfulness, and I wanna pay it forward and express grace to someone else. Who might that be? Maybe the Holy Spirit would put someone on your mind right even now 
of who that might be. Jesus did not come for the deserving. He came because we're undeserving. And that is good news. That is reason to celebrate all of December and every day. Can you pray with me? Father God, we come to you this morning and we, uh, we confess that you, God, are perfect, totally perfect and totally holy. And yet we also praise you this morning, God, because you are also so incredibly gracious. Gracious to us in our sin, gracious to us in our wickedness, gracious to us in our weakness. And Lord, I pray for myself this morning and for all these friends here this morning that this season, this Advent season, we would not be trapped by the wrapping of things, the tinsel of things, all the decor and preparation, but we would be focused instead, Father God, upon the gift, not upon the package, but upon the gift, and the gift being your son, Jesus, who came through sinners, who came for sinners, who came in humility to a virgin girl named Mary. Oh God, help us as Stuart prayed to get to the simplicity, to get around the decor and to be moved by the gift. God, I pray that no one this morning would walk out of here weighed down by unnecessary guilt or a pressure to perform, but that we would bask and rest in your amazing grace to us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.